You're listening to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show, a podcast that discusses the intricacies of real estate investing with your host, Marcus E. Maloney. Marcus is a real estate investor best known for being the equity king. He's been awarded that moniker because he and his team find amazing real estate deals. He will be talking with investors who have done some transformational things in the real estate industry. They'll discuss their process, their strategies, and how their investments transform their lives and the communities they invest in. We welcome you to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. Welcome to another show, uh, the We Love Equity listeners and family. Today, I have a definitely an inspirational guest. His name is Connor Anderson. Connor is a young guy that's really doing some things with Bigger Pocket out in Denver. And today he's going to share his story and he's definitely going to talk about his role in investing, his role at Bigger Pockets, and what he sees for the future as a real estate investor. So, Connor, real quick, man, welcome to the show. Welcome to the family. Share with us, give us a brief introduction of who you are and how you got started in real estate. Hey, Marcus, thank you very much for having me on today. Um, so like you said, I'm a young investor. I'm 25 years old, I'm originally from Michigan, but now live in Denver and I work for Bigger Pockets. My role at Bigger Pockets is advertising sales and a lot of other business to business um, relationships. So I sell the ads for the podcast. When you listen to the podcast, I sell the advertising for our newsletter. And then our conference that we just had, if you guys weren't at Bigger Pockets Conference 2019, you got to be at Bigger Pockets Conference 2020. Because yeah. uh, we're going to do even bigger and even better. Um, I met Marcus there actually, and he was great. And he said he really enjoyed it. So um, you guys need to be at the conference next year. But um, some other things I do for Bigger Pockets is help with uh, marketing and then also put together affiliate relationships um, that we have throughout the site. So um, that's a little bit about what I do at Bigger Pockets specifically. Yeah, yeah, guys, I did get a chance to meet uh, Connor at BPCon 2019 um, at lunch. And again, guys, like Connor said, if you wasn't at this one here in Nashville, you definitely need to be at the conference in 2020. Um, you'll learn a lot. You know, there's a lot of education, a lot of great speakers, a lot of content and it inspire you to get out there and get busy as a real estate investor. So Connor, not only do you work at BP, but you are an inspiring investor and you've started with the house hack. So kind of tell me about that, man. How did you go from Michigan over to Denver? And then how did you get into real estate investing? Totally. So uh, I'll kind of start with my journey of actually coming to the idea of real estate investing. So it was my senior year of college at Western Michigan University, and it was the fall classes were just starting, and um, I was really just kind of thinking about, you know, what do I want to do with my life post-college? And a goal of mine for, since I can remember, was to just be wealthy, um, so I have the flexibility to do what I want um, and not have to worry about money. So what I thought to myself was, how do people become wealthy? And immediately I thought of some of the successful and wealthy people that I had seen on TV or had met in person. And a common theme was real estate investing. So I'm like, you know what? 
I think my path is going to be in real estate investing. That's how I'm going to become wealthy. So um, just one day I was going for a jog and I downloaded a real estate investing podcast and it was not the Bigger Pockets podcast. Actually, it was Rod Cleese. Uh, it was Rod Cleese. I think he calls it Multi cash flow family. through multifamily. Yeah. Yep. So I listened to a few episodes of that while I was on, you know, walking to class or running and I learned a good amount, but one day I was just talking to a friend uh, in between classes at college and I mentioned that I was listening to this real estate podcast. He said, Oh, you listen to bigger pockets. I'm like, no, what, what is bigger pockets? <laughs> so I've been listening to the wrong real estate podcast for probably about a month. And as soon uh -huh. as he turned me on the bigger pockets, I listened to every single episode. I think at the time there's about 200 episodes of the bigger pockets podcast out there. Um, and so my job in college was I was a delivery driver for a company called Fastenal and I was driving a nice Ram 1500 truck all over Kalamazoo, Michigan. And for about nine months, I listened to every single episode of the bigger pockets podcast while I was working. And, um, during that time period, I also landed a job in Denver for a company called Oracle NetSuite as a business development representative. Mm -hmm. um, so after listening to about a couple dozen episodes of the Bigger Pockets podcast, I realized, oh, wow, this Bigger Pockets is in Denver as well. Like, as soon as I get there, I need to check them out. So I moved to Denver in July of 2017, right after I graduated college, started working at Oracle NetSuite as a business development representative. About a month or two into that job, I reached out to Scott Trench who is now the CEO of Bigger Pockets yep, yep. and grabbed lunch with him just to kind of, you know, meet him, discuss real estate investing, get his advice on how to get my first house hack. Um, so that, I did that, didn't talk to him for probably about six more months. And then a couple months after I met Scott, I heard Craig Curlop on the Bigger Pockets podcast. Yep, and yep. he, he's, Craig's about a year older than me is real estate investing, house hacking, and had a lot of similar interests to me. So I reached out to Craig. Craig and I um, grabbed dinner and, you know, network talks about house hacking and stuff like that and became fast friends. So, so let me let me stop um, you real quick, Connor, yeah, totally. because you, you gave some, some very key things. First of all, while you were in college, you had this aspiration to be wealthy. You know, you had this aspiration to be successful and mm -hmm. you did your research and you found out that, you know, quite a few of the people that I see as wealthy, they got their start either in real estate or they have some real estate holdings. And then you started doing your research, more research. So I just want to say, man, congratulations on you for having the initiative. First of all, mm -hmm. at that age to say, what do I want to do? You know, I'm going to be getting out of college. You know, what's next for me? And real estate was that next step. Absolutely. Rod Cleef's content is amazing, yeah. you know, but getting started, that could be, you know, miles above your head because he's talking about, mm -hmm. you know, 500, 600 units and everything like that. Um, and, but then you found bigger pockets, you know, so uh, just kind of like me, I found bigger pockets and it became infectious. You know, it's like once you listen to that first episode, you know, 
then it starts being inspirational to you. So kind of tell me about that. You, you met Scott, mm -hmm. which was taking initiative again. Um, mm -hmm. You met Craig. So you and Craig's conversation was about house hacking because that's how we got started. So Correct. So Craig was an inspiration to you to get started on house hacking. So let's talk about that first house hack, man. What did that look like and how did yeah. you get it done? Yeah, totally. So my first house hack is um, slightly non-traditional. So I bought a two bed, two and a half bath townhouse in Southeast Denver. Um, and then the house that I bought had an unfinished basement. So what I did was add a third bedroom into the basement. I live in the third bedroom and then ran off the upstairs bedrooms um, to friends or just young professionals in the Denver area that um, are looking for a place to live, uh, but they may not necessarily, they can't necessarily afford a studio or a one bedroom apartment, but you know, still looking for a nice, safe place to live. Okay, so you, you found a need um, and mm -hmm. you, you fulfilled that need. So how did you get the financing? You're, you're a 25-year-old guy coming yep. out of college. How did you get the financing? Where did you get the money, you know, to, to buy this townhome? Yeah, so the financing was for sure the most difficult part. Um, reason being that it was so difficult is because, one, I have – a not a large, but I have student loan debt, uh, which mm -hmm. a lot of people my age are struggling with. And the other reason that it was difficult was I am in sales. So I have a base salary and then I have commission. But the way that a lender looks at your income is they need to see two years of tax returns. Mm -hmm. um, so I, since I've only been out of college for about a year and a half to two years when I was looking for financing, I only really had one year of solid income and they could only count my base salary the lender he couldn't count my base salary plus the commissions i had been earning yep. because he yeah because he needs to see two years of commissions so um they could only go off my base salary and because of that i could only afford about or i think i could only qualify for about two hundred and seventy thousand dollars which okay may seem like a lot depending on what market you're in but in denver two hundred seventy thousand dollars yeah. doesn't get you a ton um so what i ended up going with was an fha loan putting down three and a half percent um and then yeah mm -hmm. that's, that's a loan structure that i went with just because the fha loan has a lot of positives and negatives negatives being pmi for the life of the loan so yeah. you have to pay that private mortgage insurance for the entire life of the loan, you can't so guys, refinance. Re or, real quick, yeah, go EMI, ahead. guys, is private mortgage insurance. So when you get an FHA loan, um, that's basically an insurance policy to the lender, you know, in the event of default or anything like that. So just to kind of clarify what PMI is. Okay, go ahead, Craig. So, I mean, not Craig, but Connor. <laughs> yeah. Um, so another... Uh, and it's like a benefit of the FHA loan is that they will go higher on your debt to income ratio. So um, a typical conventional loan, they won't lend you more than 50% um, debt to income and an FHA loan will go up to about 55 to 57% debt 
debt to income. So that's another reason why I went with the FHA loan compared to a conventional loan. Okay. Um, yeah. So that but, debt to that so, debt to, that debt to income, uh, guys, is how much debt you're carrying compared to how much annual income you're making. So the lender looks at that and determines if you can afford, you know, a mortgage. So with FHA, they give you a little bit more uh, leeway or variance, you know, in how they can qualify you for that loan. So, okay, Connor, FHA loan, uh, mm -hmm. 270 qualification, um, mm -hmm. the property, what was... It was a townhome. We're at in Denver, and what was the acquisition mm -hmm. amount? How did you find it? Yep. So um, I looked on the MLS. I worked with an awesome agent here in Denver, and him and I looked at probably twenty-five properties before we were able to hone in on what was going to work for my situation. The properties that we looked at at first were. Um, $250,000 houses that had an accessory dwelling unit, uh, which would have been awesome for house hacking, but these properties were completely unlivable. And okay. I think people came in, bought them with cash, and probably bulldozed them to the ground and built brand new on these properties. Okay. Um, so that's where I started at. Then I started looking at some single family houses that just needed a ton, a ton of work. Um, and ended up just feeling most comfortable with this townhouse in Southeast Denver. Um, I bought, it was listed for 270 and I offered them 260 and we got the offer accepted at 260 with, um, as, as, with a as is purchase. So the seller was not going to fix anything that we um, noticed in the inspection that may be broken. And the offer was accepted on I believe it was Black Friday of 2018. So okay. uh, that's a tip for everyone looking to buy in the off season, um, recognizing that you may have a little bit more leverage going into the holiday season when trying to buy a house because a seller will recognize if I don't accept this offer now, no one's going to be buying from likely October 31st through January 1st. It's a really, really hard time to sell a home. Um, so buyers have a little bit more power in that time period. So in a hot market, I was able to get a property for $10,000 less than um, the asking price. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's very key um, is knowing, knowing your market. So, you know, and, and really that's kind of with every market that period, because I'm a real estate agent as well, that period from the end of October, um, to really like February 1st, that's mm -hmm. the slowest period of the year to buy and sell houses because one, you know, it's the holiday season. People are gone, they're out, they're not thinking about, you know, trying to move during the holiday season. Um, so that's very, very key for negotiations. Like you said, the seller knows, hey, if I don't sell this house, you know, now going into the holiday season, it's going to sit on the market. It's going to get stale. By the time, you know, February comes, people are going to lowball offer them anyway, because it's going to be sitting on the market for 60, 90, 120 days. So very smart, very smart. So you got this property, FHA financed at 260. It's a town home. How much work needed? So it was completely move-in ready. Um, it has nice tile floors you know, decent carpeting. 
the work that needed to be done wasn't to any of the existing rooms or structures. The work that needed to be done was in the basement to build out the third bedroom to make it a three bedroom, two and a half bath compared to a two bedroom, two and a half bath. So um, I grew up doing a lot of handyman work with my father since he's super handy. So um, I've done framing before. I've done plenty of painting before putting up trim. Um, so what I did was I um, framed out the walls and then found an electrician to do some can lighting and then um, also found a drywaller to do the drywall for me. And then as soon as the drywall was in, I did the paint, put in carpeting in the, in the room and then also put up trim. Um, so that took about, I'd say, one and a half, about one and a half months um, to get that room all ready so I could move into the basement bedroom and then I could rent out the other top bedroom. Um, and at that point, you know, being successfully house hacking and living for free. Okay, perfect, perfect. So what would you tell someone your age or maybe even younger, mm -hmm. just, just coming out of college, what would you tell them to do? You know, somebody starting out, you know, how to get started. What would you tell them to do? Yeah, so a lot of people's first instincts when they move out of, move, like, get out of college, get a nice paying job is to immediately start spending lavishly, spending more than they would have in college. In college, a lot of people, you hear the stereotypes, you know, live on ramen and cheap beer. Yeah. Um, continue <laughs> to do that, maybe slightly above that. Um, you know, maybe go to the grocery store and buy some chicken and yeah. vegetables and, and actually eat somewhat healthy, but don't spend lavishly on going out to nice restaurants. Don't spend lavishly on new clothes. Don't spend lavishly on a new car um, because that's going to really, really affect your ability to start house hacking. Um, so I would suggest, you know, trying to live that college lifestyle for as long as you possibly can so you can continue to save as much money as possible. And then by continuing to save as much money as possible, maybe even paying down some of that pseudo loan debt, you can start to really, really make strides towards that first house act property. And then once you get your first house act property, come the world as your oyster growing from there and being able to continue to invest in real estate. So let me ask you this, Connor, because most people don't mm -hmm. have that ideology or that discipline that you have in regards to knowing, hey, when I get out of college, don't go and buy, you know, the new BMW 325i <laughs> or something like that. So where did you yeah. where did you learn all of this information from outside of bigger pockets? You know, because you mm -hmm. can you can hear it, you know, but not everybody can take what they hear and put it into practice. So how did you, was that something that you grew up with, you know, being disciplined with your finances, you know, kind of help some of my younger listeners know, you know, how they actually can do this? Yeah, so I definitely did not grow up with that super saver mentality. Um, I grew up in a middle-class family and we enjoyed, you know, spending our money on a nice dinner from time to time and having a, a decent car and stuff like that. So. I didn't grow up super, super frugal. Where I actually learned it was the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, not the Bigger Real Estate podcast. So the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, hosted by Mindy Jensen Mindy and Scott Trench, yeah. all yeah, all they do is talk about personal finance 
and how people have been able to reach early financial independence through being super intentional with their spending, but also super aggressive when it comes to the amount that they invest. So that was what helped me change my mindset to being more of a saver compared to more of a spender. But also there's a couple of books that I read, like The Richest Man in Babylon, which is by far my favorite real estate, or not my real estate investing, by far my first favorite personal finance book. Excellent. And then also um, The Millionaire Next Door is another really good one that shows that the average millionaire in America is not the person that you see driving the Rolls Royce and eating caviar. It's someone who has, you know, three bedroom, two bath house, drives a Toyota Corolla, yep. um, you know, maybe works as an accountant, but is super intentional with their savings and their spending. So yeah. um, those two books and the Bigger Pockets Money podcast helped change my mentality of a spender to a saver. And that's, that's very key what you're saying. Um, basically what you're saying is, it's not how much money you make, but it's how much money you spend and what you do with mm -hmm. the money that you make. Because I know people that, you know, started out making thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000, you know, with $50,000 in student loan debt. And they were able to pay off that student loan debt making thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000, you know, a year, you know, absolutely. They had to be frugal, you know, they couldn't go out, you know, to lavish dinners and everything like that. But that's just a part of the discipline you know, in the earlier years, when you set yourself up in the earlier years, like you're doing, you know, on the back end, you know, it'd be a lot, a lot better and more comfortable for you. So you have this townhouse, okay, you are living in it, you have your mortgage payment. First of all, was it scary? Was it scary jumping out there doing it? You know, it wasn't as scary as I thought it would be. Um, and I think the reason it wasn't as scary is because I had been educating myself for probably two years before I was able to buy that first house hack. And for that two year period, I had it in my mind set in stone that I will be buying a house hack as soon as I possibly can. Um, so it wasn't scary to me because I knew the power of house hacking and um, you know, no matter how poorly the house hack went or it can still go south for whatever reason. Um, I would never regret the decision to buy my first property, rent out rooms and live for free for a period of time. Um, everyone says, you know, a lot of people are scared about investing in real estate and they just get analysis paralysis, but I always go with the mindset of don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and then wait. wait. So yep. um, that, that's my game plan. So it wasn't as scary as people make it out to be. Okay. So we're rolling into vetting your tenants. How did you find your tenants and how did mm -hmm. you vet them? Let's kind of go into that process. So you have this new property, you have this mortgage, mortgage, mortgage insurance, light bill, gas bill, mm -hmm. water bill, you know, everything, <laughs> you know, it's a big yeah. step up going from college to now owning. So how did you, how did you make that transition? How did you find those tenants? Yeah, so um, I can go into a little bit of numbers here as well. So my mortgage payment is seventeen fifteen, yeah, seventeen hundred and fifteen dollars, and I have two renters bringing in eight hundred and fifty dollars a piece. Um, plus, they pay their portion of the water bill and the utilities. Um, so 
at that point, I'm essentially out of pocket zero dollars to live. Um, besides whenever some sort of maintenance issue comes up, which they have, I had to completely re replace a AC unit and a furnace, which cost me $5,000. But um, I was prepared for that. So I had a large amount of money in reserves, which is super important. Doesn't matter. Even though you're house hacking, you still need to have a reserves account. Um, mm -hmm. So those are a little bit of the numbers. But how I actually found these tenants was, um, one of them was a good friend from college who I know was making good money and I have known him for a number of years and know how financially responsible he is. Um, so that is how I found my first tenant. Were I did not little, do any sort of... Were you a little nervous about that? You know, about, hey, buddy, come on, you can rent this place out. What happened if it went south, you know? Yeah, so I wasn't too concerned about it. Um, I didn't screen them for like credit score or income or criminal history, but because I had known it for so no. long. Okay. Um, but we did still sign a six month lease to start off with. Um, and the reason I did a six month lease is because he moved in in December and the typical renter cycle is in the summer months. So I wanted yep. to start him in December and then when his lease ended, it'd be the spring slash summer month and I could um, you know, likely find a new tenant if things did not go well, much easier in the summer months than if I would have signed mm -hmm. a 12 month lease with him than in the winter months. Um, so wait, him and wait, I, we still signed the lease. Let's stop right there real quick, Connor. Guys, this is very, mm -hmm. very important, especially if you live in uh, climate dependent states um, like Denver, where it gets cold in the winter. People do not want to want to move in the winter. So just like Connor said, he got his friend in, the tenant in, in December, had a six-month lease. So if things didn't go right, he would be moving out in June and he can re-rent the property, you know, barring, you know, doing some fresh paint, everything like that, you know, in July. And then that new tenant can be put on an annual cycle so they will be out you know, at the end of every June. So he will be right in that prime moving season. So guys, keep that in mm -hmm. mind that when you're in a climate dependent state, you never want to move tenants in and out during the winter months. Okay, Connor, sorry about that. Oh, no, great point, Marcus. And um, yeah, everyone, that is a great point. Uh, so to find my second tenant, I used Facebook Marketplace. In Denver, there's a number of roommates groups. So there's um, also groups looking for people that are looking for subleasing and stuff like that. So um, that is where I found the second roommate to rent from me. And this roommate I had, did not know previously, but um, him and I messaged a little bit back and forth. And then I did do screening on him. So I use a tool called Cozy. It's completely free resource for small-time landlords and they have tenant screening it costs the tenant forty dollars and that got me their background check for criminal history it gave me a credit report on them and then also gave me a report on the amount of debt they have and their their track record for paying bills on time and stuff like that um, so that is how I screened my second tenant. Okay, so guys, he used Cozy. That's Cozy.co, C-O-Z-Y.co. Um, I use Cozy. 
as well for my tenants. It's, it's a wonderful platform. It's very easy to use, very user-friendly. So if you find yourself getting your first house hack or your first um, rental property, you can definitely check out Cozy, C-O-Z-Y.co. Um, and that will help you screen those tenants, pull background checks, pull credit reports. That way you can know exactly who you have in your units because believe me people paint a rosy picture when you're first meeting them but once they get into your unit then you see the real picture so okay so you use cozy you found this tenant on facebook marketplace never done that before that's new yeah. uh, <laughs> so um all right so you got them in there everything checked out how did it go moving them in um, so everything has gone well so far. Um, the roommates seem to be pretty like pretty friendly. We all get along rather well. I have them set up on automatic payments through Cozy every single month, so I don't have to talk to them about, hey, you haven't paid the rent yet, pay, pay me now. So um, it's really similar to just living with roommates in a rental property, um, except for I own the property and they paid me rent but it's a very similar situation to just living with you know a couple of friends it's really not bad at all and um for anyone in their young 20s they're probably living with roommates as anyways um so there's no reason to not c continue living with roommates and just house hack instead of renting yeah and that's and that's great because just looking at the numbers i mean you're you're absolutely living for free um mm -hmm. so with that money that you are going to use to pay your mortgage you're saving it you're preparing for your next next house hack or next rental kind of what's next yeah so at this point i have a wealth of options ahead of me so um i can continue to buy another house hack and do that. I can continue to live in my current house hack and invest out of state where the numbers make more sense. Um, I could, you know, just save that all that money and put it in index funds or and save for, you know, three, four, five years down the road when I feel like I am ready to tackle an apartment complex. Really, the world is my oyster um, because I am living for free and I'm saving, you know, um, if I was to be renting, I'd be paying about $1,000 a month. Um, if I was paying my entire mortgage, I'd be paying $1,700 a month. So um, I am saving about a, all in total, probably three to $4,000 a month into a savings account where I can do whatever I'd like with that. What I'm leaning towards right now is buying rental properties out of Denver, um, okay. just because the numbers seem to make a little bit more sense in an area of Michigan that I like called Grand Rapids. Yep. Um, it's a smaller city, but it's quickly growing, has a lot of job growth, has a lot of fun things to do in the area, and um, is one of the fastest growing cities in the state of Michigan. So I plan on likely in the next six months buying a rental property in Grand Rapids. Um, they're a three bed, two bath rental that um, you know, maybe able to rent out for about a thousand to twelve hundred dollars a month is about a hundred and twenty to hundred fifty thousand dollars. So very close to that one percent rule. Mm -hmm. um, and currently, that is what I'm looking at right now.
Okay. Very good. Very good. And that's, that's actually what I've been telling people, you know, there's been a misconception about the Midwest, you know, everybody, cause I'm originally from Illinois. So we're neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. people would say, you know, don't be in the Midwest. Everybody is, you know, leaving the Midwest, but there's some really great rental return numbers, you know, in the Midwest. So you have the Illinois, Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin corridor, you know, where there's great returns when it comes to rental property. Um, I, you know, rent property back in Illinois just for that same exact reason. You know, the numbers Mm -hmm. here in Phoenix wasn't making much sense and I could pick up properties there, you know, for a little bit of nothing and, you know, hit that 1% 1% rule. So if you don't mind, why don't you share with us, um, what is the 1% rule for those that, that don't know? Yeah. So the 1% rule is just a rule of thumb for quickly evaluating a rental property. So what it means is the property should rent out for 1% of the purchase price. So if you purchase a property at a hundred thousand dollars, the rent should be roughly $1,000. And if it is, then it will likely cash flow. Now, um, that's just a rule of thumb and is a quick and dirty way to just look at properties on the MLS or um, Zillow or any other resource to the, all right, this could be a good deal. Um, it is worth looking into further. Now, it doesn't mean that, all right, this needs to 1% rule is guaranteed to work. Um, there could be a lot of deferred maintenance up on the property that would lead you to have to put more money aside for uh, capital expenditures. It could be in a really, really terrible neighborhood and actually only rent for more like 800 if it's purchase price of 100,000. Uh, there's a long list of factors that can mean that the property wouldn't work, but in general, it's likely going to work out if it hits the 1% rule. Um, and there's even cases where even more like the 0.8% rule makes a lot of sense. Makes if sense. Uh, you're in an area where the taxes are super low and you can pick up a property that is almost brand new construction, so you don't have to set aside a ton of money for, um, for yeah. capital expenditures. Yeah. Or um, if you're able to put down like 50% compared to 20%, um, the 1% rule may make sense. Yep, absolutely. Or the point eight, yeah, like a point five or point eight percent rule may may make sense. Yep. So guys, keep that in mind. Um, you got to know your numbers in real estate. You know, a lot of people they get blinded by what the property looks like or what neighborhood it's in. You know, you definitely need to make sure you know your numbers, also, and do your due diligence. So, and not only that, I mean, you're you're setting the money to to the side. But also, I know Denver, you're gaining some appreciation, especially with the build out of that third bedroom. Have you done an appraisal or anything like that or just run run comps to see if the property is worth more than what it prior prior was? Yeah. So I actually, in July, refinanced the property and with that, I got an appraisal. So I bought the house in December of 2018, added the third bedroom. And then got the the two upstairs bedroom rented. I lived in the basement bedroom and, um, you know, was doing that for about six months and then kind of looked at interest rates. They dropped significantly. So 
my interest rate when I first bought the property was 4.875. And seven months later, I was able to refinance out of an FHA loan yep. into a conventional loan. Um, so what happened there was I lowered my interest rate from 4.875 to 4%. My PMI payment lowered. I got into a conventional loan, which means that once I hit the 80% loan to value rate on the property, I am able to drop the private mortgage insurance. Mm -hmm. My payment dropped about $200. And with that, I got an appraisal on the property and the property appraised for $280,000 compared to the $260,000 that I bought it for. And all in total, I think I put about roughly $5,000 into the property to add that third bedroom. So um, in those seven months of um, purchasing the property, fixing it up and getting it rented out, I was able to force about $20,000 of appreciation to it. Smart, smart, smart play. And as you can see, guys, it doesn't always take money to make money. You know, people always (laughs) say it takes money to make money. It takes real estate, you know, in order to make money. You can, you, real estate can make money and pull money out of thin air. Just like Connor said, you know, by putting $5,000 into the property, he was able to refinance it. You know, he already bought it, you know, at a slightly slight discount with 10 grand, put five into it, and now it appreciates for 285 You know, so he's, he's positive you know, on the, on the acquisition. And yet he's not paying any money into it because his tenants are paying the money into it. So very smart, Connor, very, very smart. So if you had to do it all over again, would you do anything different? Would you strategically place your finances in a different order? Kind of what would you do differently if you would do anything different? Yeah, so I'm very happy with the decision that I made to buy the property that I did. Um, if I was to do things a little bit differently, I could have waited probably three to four more months and would have been able to get my 2018 tax filed. And the lender would have been able to look at my 2018 tax filing and saw that um, I made more than just my base salary and they would have been able to use some of that commission income. And at that point, I would have been able to qualify for a larger loan. And I could have likely bought a maybe like a five bed, two bath house in a different part of Denver and done the done a different house hacking strategy with renting a large house by the room. Um, Mm -hmm. So but I I set the goal for myself um, back in the beginning of 2018 that I would buy a property by the end of 2018. Um, and I was able to meet that goal. So I'm happy I was able to meet that goal. Yep. But um, hindsight's 2020. If I was a little bit more patient and waited three to four months, I likely could have bought a slightly different property that would have worked out um, just as well, if not slightly better. But um, I'm happy that I jumped in with both feet and was able to meet that goal of buying the property in 2018. Yeah. And, and we all know hindsight is 2020, you know, but Mm -hmm. it's, you know, kudos to you for setting that goal at the beginning of the year and accomplishing that goal, you know, by the end of the year. So um, what do you think was your greatest commodity outside of, of having the capital? What do you think was the greatest resource that you had 
to help you get to where you are outside of money? I think it's my thirst for continuing education. Um, the best, like everyone harps on education is how you get wealthy, how you just like, you know, make good money and stuff like that. And that's why everyone goes to college and college is awesome. But the real education that people need to focus on is self-education outside of traditional classrooms. So by reading books such as Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Richest Man in Babylon, any book by Bigger Pockets, um, by listening to podcasts such as yours or the Bigger Pockets podcast or um, podcasts on mentality. Um, I really, really think that my greatest commodity is my ability to self-educate myself. Okay. Great. And you mentioned some great books, man. You mentioned Richest Man in Babylon, which I've read and read a couple of times, actually. Uh, mm -hmm. We all know Rich Dad, Poor Dad is, is kind of, you know, not kind of, but one of the great inspirations for a lot of real estate investors. And like you said, mm -hmm. self-education. You have to have that, that time and that discipline to say, you know, I'm going to turn off the TV I'm going to read this book because I know this book is going to make me better. Instead of watching Dancing mm -hmm. with the Stars or you know, The Bachelor, Bachelorette, all of that other garbage, you know, you need to educate yourself. And as a 25-year-old, man, uh, you're doing good. You're in a great position. Um, you know, what do you believe is one of your greatest challenges um, for you progressing and moving forward? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think one of my greatest challenges is focusing on one niche, I guess, in real estate investing. So like I mentioned earlier, the world is my oyster. I'm not exactly positive what my next deal will look like, but I know it'll happen in the next probably six to eight months. Um, so being able to focus on one aspect of real estate investing i think will be my greatest struggle but it's something that i'm actively working on okay so what do you think is your overall goal let's just say um 10 years down the road you're 35 years old mm -hmm. what do you think honor mm -hmm. anderson um portfolio looks like yeah so i think what it would look like is maybe roughly 100 units of cash flowing rental properties um, and cash flowing enough to where I have the option of working or I have the option of, you know, not working and just building up my own business, um, but also having the flexibility to, you know, spend the time how I want to. So I'm really, really active outdoors. I enjoy skiing. I enjoy training and competing in triathlons. I enjoy spending time on the water. So, um, you know, having a portfolio that pays for my lifestyle um, to the point where I can do whatever I want is exactly where I'd love to be in, you know, 10 years. Perfect, man. I, I think you're well on your way um, where you're at. You're educating yourself, not only educating yourself, but your circle of influence being right there in bigger pockets, you know, around other investors, you know, seasoned investors, you know, like Brandon mm -hmm. and, you know, Craig and Mindy and, you know, Scott, and I could go on and on and on. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's really, really having that circle of influence, you know, educating yourself, you know, and everything like that. So guys, um, the books that Connor mentioned, Richest Man in Babylon, I'll have a link 
below. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I'll have a link below in the show notes in regards to that. So, Connor, uh, tell me, I know you're doing some things with Bigger Pockets, working with Bigger Pockets. What do you have going on mm -hmm. there with the BP family? Yeah, so we, like I mentioned earlier, we just finished up the 2019 conference and overall it was a huge success, but we are already planning on the 2020 conference. So um, my main focus at Bigger Pockets is, of course, continuing to sell out all the inventory for the podcast and the newsletter, but also continuing to make sure that our conference is as big and success, successful as possible. So, um, you know, my goal, I had 30 exhibitors at the 2019 conference. In 2020, I want to have 50 exhibitors. So. Um, continue to grow and scale that portion of the business is a huge focus of mine right now. Okay, perfect. Perfect. So Connor, how can we get in touch with you um, for other aspiring investors? Um, you seem like you could definitely be an influencer to those that are either in college or coming out of college, you know, with your story, mm -hmm. how can we reach you? How can we get in touch with you? Yep. So the best place likely would be my email. So Connor at biggerpockets.com, Connor spelled C-O-N-N-O-R, or Instagram is another great way to reach out to me. Connor T. Anderson is my Instagram. And I'm also on Bigger Pockets, so feel free to find me on Bigger Pockets and send me a personal message. I love connecting with young investors and hopefully shedding some inspiration or knowledge on them. Sounds great, Connor. Well, I want to thank you, man, for definitely sharing, you know, with the We Love Equity family. I think your story definitely will be an inspiration, as I said before, for those younger that's looking to get started, you know, and even those that may be a little bit older and are saying, okay, I need to change and pivot and change direction. So Connor, I want to thank you. All of the information guys regarding Connor, his Instagram, how to contact him, the books, everything will be in the show notes. That way you can find it. And Connor, I really appreciate you. And I thank you again, man. So one last word, any last word of inspiration you want to give the listeners before we sign off here? Of course. Um, so a quote that I live my life by is you've never arrived you're always becoming and what that means to me is never being complacent in where you are in life right now you can always strive to become better whether it's you know in your relationships in your physical health in your wealth um, or even in your education so um, you know just live your life by you've never arrived you're always becoming and you'll go great places um, but thank you so much for having me on today, Marcus. This has been a lot of fun and look forward to, you know, continuing the conversation and, you know, having a lot of fun together at Bigger Pockets 2020 con conference. All right. Well, sounds great, Connor. I will definitely be at the 2020 conference. As you know, <laughs> uh, I'll definitely look out for you. So again, thank you and much success to you, Connor, and keep going and keep pushing forward. Absolutely. Thanks, Marcus. Thank you for listening to today's show. I picked up some great actionable items and I'm sure you did as well. If so, let me know. You can always reach me via social media at facebook.com slash MRCS Maloney, Twitter at MRCS Maloney, and of course, IG at MRCS Maloney. 
You can also always reach me via email at mmaloney at equityri.com. Make sure you reach out to our guest as well. You can always find their contact information in the show notes below. If you have not subscribed already, what are you waiting for? Join the family. And while you're at it, leave us a five-star review. This is how we tell if we're providing you with what you need for your journey. If there's someone you would like for me to interview, or if there's a subject matter you would like for me to cover, please let me know. Finally, if you're looking for additional information about real estate investing, go to equityrealestateblog.com, also youtube.com slash Marcus Maloney. Until next time, family, always enjoy the journey.